Hello and welcome to the channel. We are the Hollow Grumps. I am Colm. And I'm Liam. And we're back with our review of the original series of Star Trek. But before we get into it, if we could get you to like and subscribe and maybe even comment below so you get to see more of our reviews as well. So starting off with what is technically episode one, The Man Trap. The Enterprise visits the planet M113, where scientist Dr. Crater and his wife Nancy, an old girlfriend of Dr. McCoy, are studying the remains of an ancient civilization. When the Enterprise crewmen begin turning up dead under mysterious circumstances, Kirk and Spock must unravel the clues to discover how, why, and who is responsible. So, Colin, what did you think of this episode? As a first episode, okay, actually a little bit of trivia here. So this actually wasn't the first episode filmed. This was the sixth episode filmed, and NBC saw that it was like the first episode with a real monster in it. So they said, yeah, make that the first episode because it's the most exciting episode. You can thank IMDb for my little bit of information there. Yeah, they had a couple of ideas, and I think they realized Charlie X was just too... It was kind of a teen melodrama or coming-of-age thing in space, and it was mainly on the ship. So they're like, oh, how do we capture audiences? And they came... This was the most sci-fi looking episode that they had ready to go. It had, a, it had a planet, it had the ship, it had a monster as well, and a murder yeah. mystery. Yeah, a good murder mystery too. I mean, I mean, like I said, uh, I can understand why this was the first episode, because they've made movies about this, you know, Attack of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. You know what I find the strangest? The sock monster. I know, okay, listen, I know it's a plant, but I, <laughs> it was one of those things that it made me laugh when I saw it. Do you remember that uh, when Sulu's eating his lunch? Which, which uh, Yom and Yanis had taken a couple of bites out of in public. <laughs> She'd been salting it, attracting the salt monster in public. Yeah. <laughs> asking to be assaulted. By the salt monster. <laughs> oh, no. And the fact that they sent a whole ship just to do a medical checkup on two scientists on a planet, a yearly checkup. Imagine how difficult that must be to get a yearly checkup. All these ships, just find a yearly checkup for uh, scientists on planets. Here we go. Yeah, you'd imagine they'd have a, a, a general supply ship that would do this for them. They don't need to send the flagship off. So uh, if you don't know, there's a, there's a salt monster going around basically sucking the life out of people or the salt out of people. The way they show this in the episode is... Just a load of men covered in hickeys. They've been hickeyed to death. <laughs> Damn hickeys. Did you notice the plant seemed to be able to detect the monster? It was Why? a plot point that they didn't seem to develop any further than that. You would have assumed yeah. that Sulu would be like, Oh, wait, Captain. I know exactly what we can do and have plants. Have everyone running around with this. Well, they couldn't move it because there was a man underneath it. It was good foreshadowing for the triple, I suppose. You know. Yeah, the birth of <laughs> the triple that would be able to detect the Klingons, yeah. And the space beds. What? What? The, I see you have a, a slight issue with the uh, space bed in McCoy's quarters. This this is an issue I have with all of Star Trek. I don't understand space. I can't appreciate what the temperature is. But I like having something to you know snuggle into when I go to bed. And these beds look like slabs. It looks like a video game when you come into the room and, you know, like an oblivion and all that. When people go to sleep, they just go like this and yeah. lie, lie down on a slab. <laughs> they don't get under the duvets or anything. And that's essentially what it would have been coming into the room to see McCoy. Oh, McCoy, you're sleeping. Huh? 
<laughs> so what did you think of the great monster reveal scene at the end? Because I personally loved Kirk baiting the monster with the salt and be like, hey, come here, Nancy. You want you want a piece of my salt? <laughs> you want to assault me? <laughs> the, the fight, okay. So this is the climax of the episode. We have the big fight between Spock and the monster. And I love that when he's fighting the monster and he's trying to convince McCoy to shoot the monster, he's going, could Nancy take this? And he starts smacking her in the face and she's just basically no selling it. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Not even McCoy's trying. Like, no. Whoa. Wait, Nancy. Spock, stop that. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, Nancy. That's, that's not Nancy. And uh, the reveal of the monster and it has like them octopusy type nodule thingies on its hands. And so, it has it, it has suckers. Suckers on its hands, yeah. They are yeah. specialized in taking the salt out. Unfortunately, you couldn't take the salt out of Spock because Vulcans have a very different uh, chemical makeup. They'll yeah. probably bring. They'll probably do that in CBS Trek where them um, the salt monster attacking Spock, and they'll forget that it can't. They'll have another salt monster. Okay, uh, that's pretty much the ending, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the end of the episode. There, there isn't really any like when we dealt with the cage. There was a great overline theme, but there's no real overline themes in these episodes. There doesn't have to be. It, we don't... it was kind of a weak ending you know they kill the last of the species and then go but what about the buffalo yeah yeah that's it he's like I was thinking about the buffalo Mr. Spock it must have been topical at the time or at least it must have been well known about buffalo being pretty much extinct so I was thinking that it has something to do with you know we need to look after the species that are in danger on the planet but of course they just killed the salt monster so what's the message? It, uh, kill it if it attacks you. Any, any of the endangered animals, if they if they attack you, yeah, you just just kill them. So this brings us on to episode two, Charlie X. The synopsis is: the Enterprise takes seventeen-year-old Charles Evans aboard for transport after he spent fourteen years alone on a deserted planet, but his inability to reintegrate with his fellow humans is compounded by his very unhuman powers. So before we start, just a bit of trivia. This episode was chosen to air second out of necessity, as no other episodes were ready for the deadline. <laughs> I can just imagine imagine the frantic. Oh no! Oh god! What what episodes do we have? Uh, I just, just Charlie Charlie X. We'll stick that on. Charlie X, Charlie, Charlie X. And another piece of trivia: in his only acting role in Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry voiced a chef. Chef. Oh. All the greats in Star Trek play chefs, you know, Jonathan Frakes, Riker, Riker yeah, Riker's Riker. Kitchen. Yeah. And another thing, Grace Lee Whitman, of course, who plays Yeoman Janice, mentions that Robert Walker, who was a method actor, completely avoided the cast on set. He was trying to stay alone and in character. And he explained, she says, he explained to us when he arrived to the set that he wanted to remain alien and apart from us. And it worked. You can see it in his performance, a subtle yet persistent air of estrangement from the Enterprise crew, and indeed from the rest of humanity. What did you think of that, Colin? Did you think his method acting came true? Did he seem alien and disjointed from the rest of the people? I definitely thought he he was a bit of a character, you know? You know the Irish way of saying a bit of a character, a bit of a peculiar so-and-so. I probably shouldn't have read the trivia on the episode beforehand, because it kind of informed me a little bit, you know? 
So, I mean, maybe that's something to probably avoid for future reviews, not reading trivia on the episode, despite the fact that I've seen all these episodes before. But it's it so nice good, the home. trivia. I love that he was a 26-year-old man playing a 17-year-old boy. Just just stick a lot of foundation on him. He'll be fine. So, initial observations of the episode. We get to see the old uh, the pilot uniforms. I think these are the pilot uniforms from the actual Star Trek pilot as opposed to the cage. Are they? Yeah. Are, they they, they the look same. quite similar. Yeah. Because they look, they just look old and yeah. washed out. Old That's the best shaggy. way to describe it. And uh, yeah. Charlie wears that throughout the whole episode. He has one of them uniforms. Yeah. And we get the introduction of uh, Kirk's tunic. The green shirt. The horrible green shirt. He gets plus 10 charisma while he's wearing it. So it's okay. Well, in my opinion, every time he wears it, he kind of slumps back into it and he kind of, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about him that's very undignified wearing that tunic. I just don't know why he picked it. Maybe he had no choice. No, he had a choice. He no, had a of course choice. he had a choice. <laughs> the, you know, actually, there's one thing that I was thinking about in the episode. Do you remember that part where McCoy starts saying all these metaphors to to Charlie? He's like, you're 4 and oh, your yeah. sound of wind and gate and i was like what even i don't get these metaphors what are <laughs> you or no is is he deliberately trying to confuse charlie it's like antagonize oh, him i i heard you just learned all your english from a computer well you're four and oh your sound of gate and whatever let's talk about uhura's singing scene for a second no spock playing the the lute do you think of that as being a character moment for Spock, or do you think that was just Leonard Nimoy trying to figure out the character? Well, first of all, Liam, I'd like to correct you. It wasn't a lute. It was an electric lute. Ah. <laughs> you can see him tuning it and yeah. Uhura uh, singing along to the notes that they're being chewed. G flat, G flat, G flat. And it's like, oh, you're doing it again. Oh, well, sing us a song, you're Uhura. Look, we get to see Spock smile, and that, that's kind of a nice bit of breaking the fourth wall in my own head canon, you know? Yeah. But he shouldn't He shouldn't be like, let's consult the chart behind me, shall we? Um, I'll turn around too. Spock at that point was perhaps... Well, he was bemused? Is bemused on the chart? Maybe the only... <gasps> Maybe CBS Trek is really, really smart. Maybe the only thing that can get to his ice-cold heart is music. Aha, uh -huh. that's that's it. That's why yeah. when number one started singing, he had to laugh and sing and dance and smile along. It broke through his steel exterior. Yeah. I mean, it's there. It's in canon. Spock smiling. Yeah. He, I mean, can't, can't but I do have it. I do have in my notes for this scene just two words. Shoot me. I kind of the same. And we, we got a lot, lot of this to look forward to Ahura singing. Unfortunately. It, it's just some of the things that have dated in the show that you can't do anything about. Originally, she was meant to be doing like impersonations and like acting like a jester in the room. But then uh, when she started singing, they were like, oh, we've really got to hone in on Nichelle Nichols' um, musical talents. Uh, there were a couple of actually very scary moments in the episode, which I did enjoy. Like the music when Charlie is being... Is, McCoy says he's going to lead Charlie to his quarters. And straight after you see Charlie wandering around the ship and he looks down this hole that these people are working in. And it's like... And you're like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, something's, something's not right about Charlie. You know, if there's a there's real something wrong with Charlie. Yeah, we need to talk about Charlie. 
<laughs> he he was a brilliant actor. Like I never liked Charlie at any point in the episode. He was so irritating. So rude. He was so rude. And he did such a good job of that being so disjointed. The moment when he makes Kirk's sparring partner disappear, I actually thought it was very harrowing. It's just like, they didn't even overdo it. They didn't make all these weird special effects come on. They didn't make him explode. They'd gone. He just, boom. <laughs> and it, there's something really harrowing about it. You're like, oh, wait, oh. Well, what, what happened to him? It's just really yeah. jarring to see him just disappear. But before we get to Kirk's sparring partner disappearing, do you remember Kirk's conversation with Charlie saying it's it's so funny that Kirk has to be the one to give him the conversation about not uh, about, about hit, women's this, personal space? That hitting women is d- different. Um, you you can't just um, you get what oh, I'm God. saying, Charlie. Um, <laughs> oh, oh God. is it getting warm in here? <laughs> <laughs> well, he he he, did, he delivered that scene to Charlie in his Ooh. old in his normal TOS uniform. And then they get into yeah. the turbo lift. <laughs> and Kirk... Let me just change in the turbo lift. <laughs> and his hair is more slicked back and he looks bronzer and he's in his green tunic. And I was like... <laughs> well, he's, he's about to go shirtless. Leave him alone. <laughs> I, I don't know why the edit was just so funny. He looked really dignified yeah. and serious in the scene with Charlie in the corridor. And then in the bridge, he's yeah. back to... Hey. <laughs> hey, plus 10 charisma. so anyway the the story develops where charlie gets this infatuation with janice yeoman janice and he goes to her room and he gives her pink flower telling her that pink's her favorite which we all guess from the subtle set pieces her room is pink she wears pink it's a pink flower pink is definitely her favorite very observant, Charlie. Have you been stalking Yeoman Janus? Oh, yeah, and also he breaks Spock's legs. Oh, yeah. Poor Spock. Yeah, Spock, go, Spock goes, my legs are broken. You'll have to fix his legs if you want me to control this ship. Okay, yeah. fine. In terms of character moments, I actually really liked Spock and Kirk playing chess. I don't know if I agree with uh, with Kirk winning, but I feel like that was just Shatner being Shatner. Checkmate. Yeah. I'd say <laughs> that, that wasn't was, a line that you <laughs> that wasn't a line that was meant to be in there. Checkmate. Yeah. No, Kirk doesn't lose. I imagine yeah. so. But I, I I kind of liked it. Kirk is meant to be a very intelligent person. And that was the great foil of Spock that Kirk brought out this other side of Spock and helped him develop his spontaneity. Now the very ending of this has Charlie being beamed away by the Thasians who were thought extinct, but were actually just super advanced life forms who didn't actually have corporeal forms, but they were keeping him alive. Charlie, I mean. So again, it ends on a moral question. Did you feel bad for Charlie? And do you think it was the right choice to send him off to live on this planet? Yeah, it's kind of what should we do with power that we can't control? And Kirk wanted to give Charlie a second chance, but he wasn't given that. The Thasians just said, no, he's too dangerous. He's too dangerous to be kept alive. Well, they keep him alive. They're going to look after him. You know, it is a tough question. Would you trust Charlie walking around? How much trust Would you, do you be have? able to rehabilitate him, do you think? That's the thing. He Can they not take the powers away? He has to want to do it. As in, Charlie yeah. has control of everything. So if Charlie wants to change, Charlie's the only one who can change. But it is very apt that... This episode was penned by Gene Roddenberry as just being 
the day Charlie became God. But uh, yeah, and Colm, did you feel bad for him? How how would you have handled things if you were the Thasians and Captain Kirk? Uh, uh, surely they have the power to take away his powers. I, I would have thought. But if they don't have that ability, I would have sent him to a tiny colony, you know, with just men. Holograms. But they didn't exist yet. They will someday. Actually, no, no, Colm, Colm, you're wrong. Holograms did exist back then. We've seen Discovery. They even have a holodeck on board the ship. Uh, no. Are you, are you questioning CBS oh, yeah. continuity? Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. Put him on a planet with the Doctor <laughs> from Voyager. So, yeah, um, unfortunately for everyone watching, we brought up CBS Trek. Or rather, I brought up CBS Trek, so um, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I let us Mayor down. Culture. I let the team down. I promise in our next two reviews I won't mention CBS Trek. But so Both overall, the these two episodes, what do you think of them? Did you enjoy them? Good bit of fun. Yeah, they're loads of fun. If you just watch them and don't... Uh, look, there's loads of things that you, we could nitpick. You know, oh, the sets are so silly. This is so silly. But to be honest, if you just let yourself accept that this was made in 1966, then you'll be fine. And I think when you rewatch it, they, there's no reason why they can't stay in that continuity. I know they need to kind of remod remodel and remaster the sets, but in terms of the type of lifestyle that these people had in Star Trek, it was a, a they man. do need to, they do need to pivot on personalities and and conceptions and things like that, people's conceptions of other people. But certainly they can do this. Just make it what's supposed to be a hopeful future. Yeah, like you, you look at the scene where Charlie spanks Truman Janice. And she says, Charlie, you just don't go around slapping girls on the, on the, and she can't even say the word. <laughs> They're so <Yeah>. polite. <laughs> and then we cut to uh, Star Trek Picard where everyone's dropping F-bombs left, right and center. I know. You think that would have been phased out of human speech? Okay, I think we'll, we'll leave, it, it. leave it at that. Yeah. So, if you like what you saw here, make sure to hit the like and subscribe button because we will continue reviewing episodes of the original series as long as we have the time but it is our hope to get through every episode. So, for the Hologrumps, I'm Liam. And I'm Colm. And remember, existence is futile.